Kili Shuateka Kiviti Hashem Barukabab Hashem Adonai. So to finish kind of up some of my notes here that I was in uh, Parsha Kedoshim checking out, uh, in the wellsprings of Torah, there's a Haftarah drop. Uh, it comes from Yehezekiel, which is Ezekiel, my favorite prophet, even though I know we're not supposed to have favorites. But in chapter 22, Baruch Hashem, Verse 26 says, Her priests have done violence to my Torah and have hid their eyes from my Shabbats. Okay, that's pretty intense. So we got the law of God, which is the Torah, and Shabbat. So doing violence to the Torah is hiding from the Shabbat. What does the Wellsprings of Torah say? Well, it says this from Shabbat 119. This clearly explains the statement of Chazal, the sages, that Yerushalayim was only destroyed because they desecrated the Shabbats there. As it is written, and they hid their eyes from my Shabbats. Again, that's Shabbat 119 in Talmud. Why does the Talmudic text specify because they desecrated the Shabbats there? Would it not have been sufficient to say because they desecrated the Shabbats? Because the verse from Yehezekiel they have hid their eyes from my Shabbats refers to the priests. The priests themselves did not desecrate the Shabbat. Their sin lay in the fact that they looked away when others desecrated the Shabbat. The statement, because they desecrated the Shabbat there, conveys that through or conveys the thought that the Shabbat was being desecrated right there in Jerusalem, where the priests resided, and yet the priests did nothing to put a stop to this conduct. Don't let Nehemiah, aka Nehemiah, find out. Man, there's a whole section about what he did for people that were trying to violate the Shabbat, and uh, it was not pretty. Anyway, the whole reason why we have that 18 minutes before candle lighting comes from that guy he was ready to regulate on people that was trying to violate the shabbat even before the shabbat started he was like don't even let the shadow of the gate closing be cast up on all your merchandise while you're trying to sell stuff because if you're in that shadow you're going down but anyway says the sages the saying of the sages or this saying of the sages fits well with the saying immediately before i.e. that Yerushalayim was destroyed because the people did not rebuke one another. This would imply that they also failed to rebuke Shabbat violators. So it's interesting that the desecrating of the Shabbat in Jerusalem is really equated with the real reason why Jerusalem was destroyed. Because Jerusalem 
was permeated and is permeated by the name of God and the Shekinah and the Torah and all that. This is why Hashem said, the place where I place my name. So if you really look at what's being explained right here, this is the whole reason why the tablets were able to be broken. This is why the body of Messiah was able to be um, put to death. And, you know, this whole idea is that if the spirit of Hashem departs, the glory of Hashem departs from this place, that's the only way it can be destroyed. And in the Yom Kippur Katan, see if I can pull that up. Uh, it actually brings down this crazy story about Hashem helping destroy the temple. Which ultimately is the destruction of Jerusalem when you think about that. This is uh, the Yom Kippur Katan. from art scroll and there's a whole drop on the general and king nebuchadnezzar's army the babylonian peeps let's see here um nebuchadron It'll take me a second to find it, so thank you for your patience. All right, healing the flaw. Contact with the serpent. Even the tree of knowledge. It's the sun and moon. Here we go. All right. This is, what page is this on? Page XI, so page 11 in the preface. And the section is titled, Different Reactions. It says, In the above vein, Rabbi Gedalia Score from Or Gedaliahu Moadim explained the difference between Naaman uh, in Second Kings five seventeen and Nebuzadran, Second Kings twenty five and Yarmiyahu fifty two, okay, so Second Kings twenty five eleven, Yarmiyahu fifty two thirteen, one of them was miraculously cured of an illness, of a serious illness, by the prophet Elisha. The other one destroyed the first temple and exiled the Jewish people. One of them stopped worshiping idols and the other converted to Judaism. Which one was the convert? Logic was seen to dictate that the one who was cured should embrace the faith of the one who cured him. But that is not what happened. Naaman was cured of leprosy and pledged only to desist from idolatry. Nebuzadran, the cruel and wicked destroyer, converted to Judaism. Gatine 57b says why well, I'm gonna jump down a little bit here it says Nabuzadron saw the disappearance of the moon the nadir of Jewish life the very destruction and exile convinced him that God is concerned with his people 
that just as he elevates them when they are worthy, he refused to tolerate their sinfulness. This convinced the triumphant general to forsake his paganism and put himself under the wings of the divine presence. Thus, like the darkness of Shemaim on the threshold of the new moon, the destruction provided an opportunity for growth. So there's this whole story. Let's see if I can find that. Now that I know how to spell Nebuzadran. Brukashem. This is from Jewish Virtual Library. This is kind of crazy. So, where to pick up it? Hmm. Nebuzadran was the commander of Nebuchadnezzar's guard, who was in charge of the destruction of the temple and the deportation of the people of Yehuda. Acting on orders, Nebuzadran set the city of Jerusalem, set fire to the city of Jerusalem, leveled its walls. Second Kings twenty-five nine. Certain of the ecclesiastical, military, and civil officers and leading citizens who were supporters of Zedekiah were brought before Nebuchadnezzar at Ribla and executed. And Gedaliah, son of Ahikam, was placed in charge of the remaining population. Five years later, Nebuzadran deported another 745 people. The official title of Nebuzadran was given Sar Hatabahim, although such a designation of a court official is unknown in Mesopotamian literature. The Septuagint translate the term as the chief cook or butcher. In an inscription from the time of Nebuchadnezzar II, the chief court officer is referred to as Nebuzaradina, whose official Babylonian title, Rav Nehu or Nuhatime, which comes from the word Natom, baker, Scholars have thus identified this officer with Nebuzadran and assumed that the biblical title is a translation of the Babylonian one. Uh, the Aramaic brings up that this is also chief slaughterer. So his loyalty to his king is praised. He attached Nebuchadnezzar's portrait to his chariot so that he might almost always feel that he stood in his presence. For the same reason, he accepted the assignment to conquer Jerusalem, and even though he personally witnessed Sennacherib's uh, defeat there, his success was due to divine aid. According to one Midrash, after three and a half years, he was about to abandon the task, but was advised by Hashem to measure the city walls. As soon as he did, they began to sink into the ground and immediately disappeared. Lamentations Rabbah, Introduction 30, says, According to another account, he was on the point of returning home after all the axes, but one at his disposal had been broken in the attack on Jerusalem. I'm telling you, this guy went through axe after axe after axe. There's no way the walls were going down. It says, at that moment, 
a voice cried out, the time has come for the sanctuary to be destroyed and the temple burnt. And with his last acts remaining, he destroyed one of the city gates. Sanhedrin 96B. So. It's uh, it's really, really interesting when it comes to Hashem allowing himself to uh, be destroyed. You know, as far as the temple, as far as the body of Messiah, as far as the tablets of the Torah, you know, and uh, the temples being destroyed, according to Messiah text, is Hashem being, uh, Hashem doesn't have a throne on the earth anymore. And so it's just kind of one of those things where until Hashem decrees it, that's when it happens. So it's the same thing when the temple is rebuilt is that that's when it's going to happen when Hashem decrees it. The time has come for the temple to be built and there it is. So it's just kind of interesting that the desecration of the Shabbat was kind of like, okay, that's really the point as far as what Wellsprings of Torah is bringing down because we have to understand how intricately the Shabbat is connected with Hashem because, again, entering to the Shabbat is entering into the name of Hashem. This is literally Hashem's rest. And so, I believe Shabbat is one of the names of Hashem. So, let me double check that real quick. That's one of Hashem's treasures and his storehouse, Shabbat 10b. For desecrating the Shabbat and the name of God, Shabbat 38a. So, yeah, the Shabbat is definitely tied with the name of Hashem. And, uh, that, that's just, that's crazy. I want to look more into that. So, you know, I don't want to consider this completely sourced, but I just want to let you know that when it comes to talking about the Shabbat and talking about the name of Hashem, that, you know, they're, they're intricately connected. And for the Torah wellsprings to bring down that in the place where Hashem's name is called, that the Shabbat was allowed to be desecrated and the very people who are in charge of defending the name of Hashem. Yes. The Kohanim and the Levites. Um, that's not good. So there's that. And again, if we look at this, this parasha of Akari Mo and Kedoshim, it's really teaching us how we need to be uh, reverent of Hashem's Shabbat reverent of all of the mitzvot of Hashem, which by the way, when you observe the Shabbat, it is the equivalent of the entire Torah. So one who fulfills the Shabbat is if they have fulfilled the entire Torah. Pele Yoetz 349.5 Go and learn Till where the obligation to heal applies, for behold, they permitted our holy, strict Shabbat to be desecrated, 
and to transgress upon the entire Torah in order to treat a person who was ill. And it says in Binyon, Binyan Zion 23.5, since one who publicly desecrates Shabbat is like an apostate against the entire Torah, he has the status of an idolater. In the case of a bona fide Shabbat desecrator who all agree is an apostate against the entire Torah, that's that's something. And then, uh, what is this? Babylonian Talmud, Megillah, Summary of Perak 3. Uh, nope, nothing there. But yeah, if you are a person who keeps the Shabbat, you're considered to be a repudiator of idolatry. If you're a person who uh, violates the Shabbat, then you're considered to be an idolater. And remember, when you ask someone if they're Shomer Shabbos, that's all you need to know as far as if they are observant. So, generally, a person who's Shomer Shabbos, you know, kashrut, uh, separate meat and dairy kind of thing, and dressings and nude and all that kind of stuff, like anything you can think about for observance, they're either... Uh, doing that or working towards that or figuring out how to implement it you know but if a person shomer shabbos that's really all you need to ask as far as to know what kind of person you're talking to are you talking to an idolater or are you talking to a person who worships Hashem? so more weight here on to why if the kohanim are allowing people to be in jerusalem and violate the shabbat it's like well you don't care about my name so why should I? You know, Hashem's Mita Kenegit Mita, if you really think about it. The destruction of the temple puts us out. It doesn't put Hashem out, per se. It does bring darkness and, and destruction into the world and sadness and grief. But Hashem is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases kind of thing. But he would rather us be in harmony and uni unity with the light of God openly revealed to mankind as opposed to it not so we have to really think about you know how do we really feel about the word of god and, and what are we really doing with it you know are we promoters or demoters and and furthermore you know like not necessarily that we need to confront one another but if you are a bystander and you know like it's not really a way to do this now because, again, we're not in the temple. But just let's just go to the temple for a minute to put this in the right perspective. If you're a Levite, right? Hashem's like, well, it's the seventh day of the week. And, um, you know, no commerce, no doing all that uh, Shabbat violating stuff and idolatry. So you're walking around and you see a person violating Shabbat like, we're not talking in 39 labors of Halakha. We're talking like worshiping idols and committing all kinds of unlawful acts and um, talking like, uh, you know, what was that word I'm looking for? Uh, witchcraft, sorcery, rebellion, um, making laws and judgments, you know, like legalizing things that should not be legalized. You know, and doing that all on a Shabbat. Well, as a Levite, as a protector of the name of Hashem, you're supposed to shut that down. 
And the way that kind of applies to us now on kind of a weird place, because, you know, we don't really have any jurisdiction anywhere because we're in exile. But the the problem would be is if we never, ever shared Torah, if we never, ever proclaimed the name of Hashem and his oneness to the world, if we just hid away, turned our faces never spoke up, never gave any inkling or inclination of, hey, you know, there's there's a standard that needs to be raised here. Like, if we never did that, you know, if we never, you know, established tour in our homes and in our workplace, you know, like that kind of stuff. And that that's really the ultimate sadness and the ultimate destruction is when we don't protect the name of Hashem and proclaim his oneness. So even if you're the only person in your family that keeps the Shabbat, that's a level of protecting the name of Hashem and being zealous for him because somebody's got to do it. And may that be that the whole entire world sees Hashem's name as something worthy of being honored and exalted. Baruch Abba Hashem Adonai Hashem, please send Mashiach now.